Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Hello, Renegades. Welcome to another episode of Eleni Tells Me Things, so then I have to go to the natural store and buy new things. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Every time we have a new podcast, I have to go home and adjust my lifestyle and I feel better, but it it does affect me. I I do feel like most of our episodes end in you saying, well, now I have to go to the grocery store. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Or I'm going to go home and start taking my magnesium again. That's true. From our supplement episode, now I'm taking my magnesium drink and I feel (laughs) so good about it. So what are you going to have to have me do today, lady? To <laughs> I don't my think behavior. this one will be a problem for you. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, today's episode is on artificial dyes. Oh, don't and food eat the coloring. Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> the real rainbow. Yeah, eat the real rainbow. Not the artificial rainbow. Don't eat the Skittles rainbow. Yeah. Yep. Just... <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So artificial dyes and food colorings. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Our modern world. That is a thing. It is sure. a thing. Yep. Surprisingly. Um, yep. And surprisingly, I mean, I feel like I've heard, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've at least heard a lot about the effects of artificial food colorings and behavioral issues and yeah. connections with ADHD and autism spectrum. I've heard a lot of just things. I mean, I'm in the nutrition yeah. world, yeah. so I'm I'm always listening like, to, yeah. reading, absorbing information from that world. And I feel like I've heard a lot about this connection, but it was surprisingly hard to find any information on it. Oh, it's something that kind of gets skirted over. Like just, yeah. Yeah. So I I was telling Kay before this episode, like I have several resources of nutritionists and functional medicine doctors and nutritional experts that I really trust and whose research I trust. I mean, some of them are like Chris Kresser and um, Mark Hyman and... I like Josh Axe and his research. We like Max Lugavere. So I was like, I normally, if I don't know where to begin on a topic, like if it's a topic I'm not already experienced in, I'll typically look up what they have to say about it. Mm. And they're all very good at quoting like, here's the research study. And then they give you a link. And then you can go and read that research study yourself. But they've already kind of done the legwork of Mm -hmm. finding Mm -hmm. the research that you know like the pioneers in it yeah yeah exactly and so um that's usually my starting point but none of them really had any information on food dyes and artificial coloring like they all had something in passing okay like make sure you avoid foods with artificial dyes and fillers and preservatives like all of them kind of lumped them into that category yep yeah and avoid them because it can cause inflammation or it's associated with cancer it's associated with behavioral issues but they never but none of them had just like an article about it and like here's the research and here's why yeah exactly which would typically be my starting off point before i Yep. You know, so wait, we're gonna be the pioneers on this knowledge. I'm hey. sure there's people yes. with information on it out there. I'm sure there is because I've read it. Yeah, I just couldn't really find any of it. Okay. So yeah, so I had to to dust off the old uh, oh, oh the <laughs> search old, engine. Oh, the old college days came back. <laughs> the old college days came back. I was like, well, this will be good for me to 
stretch that muscle a little bit more again. And instead of somebody else being like, hey, here's five research papers on this topic, I was the one who went in and found all of the research papers. So You're feeling like like an investigator. Yes. So I do feel accomplished. But it was hard to find information on it. But I found several research studies um, that I'll talk with you about and we can link them in the show notes so you can read those research studies for yourself if you would like um but yes two in particular really stood out and i read through those research studies and both of those research studies on this topic of artificial dyes were um well one of them was what we call a meta analysis i guess they were both in a way meta analysis but one was a research study one was a full paper um written by the yeah Anyway, California Occupational Health. Mm. Um, But the research studies are meta-analysis. And so what that means is they look at as many different research studies on the topic as they can find. So in a meta-analysis, you're taking, let's say there's 10 research studies out there on artificial dyes. You take those 10 studies and you analyze those 10 studies and you say, okay, here are the results of those 10 studies. And eight of the 10 studies show this association. Two of the 10 studies show this association. Mm. Here's the problem with the research used in these studies. Like here's some of the weaknesses. Here's some of the biases, that sort of a thing. So they are actually, it is a type of research paper, but they're not doing the research directly themselves so they're not in a lab putting artificial dyes into animal cells you know they're they're analyzing the research exactly they're taking all the data that's already out there they're reanalyzing it Mm -hmm. and they're coming up with okay out of these 10 studies here's what the trends show okay okay this like synthesizing of the whole okay i can respect that which is they're saving me the time and energy because that's what i would be doing for a podcast anyway (laughs) is i'd be looking at here's this research study and here's what this one showed and here's this research study and here's what this one showed so finding a meta-analysis yeah it's kind of gold shortcut good yeah, so Good. that's what I did. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear about it because um, I, there is this like inherent like, oh, it's not good, but yet it's in everything and everywhere. And we like accept that we're feeding it to our kids like every day at school. Like, and I'm, but in general, we're like, no, we shouldn't do that. When, when I was in school, I helped at a, um, like a special needs classroom and we knew we couldn't fit. And when I was a special ed teacher, we knew we couldn't feed our kids like red dye number five. Like, and I just knew that. So I'm so glad they had the research because that would have been, you know, like 12 years ago. Um, but then also now I saw like red dye number 50 or number 40. 40. Oh, 40. And I'm just like, how about like red dye number five, red dye number 40. How about all red dye number, all of them? <laughs> like, <laughs> they all seem really bad. So anyway, so at least there was that awareness even 12 years ago. And now I'm kind of aware of it, but I'm excited to hear the science of why. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, just going into some of the history of artificial dyes and how they've ended up in our food, because it is sort of a bizarre thing when you think about it like why would we color our food yeah isn't it just going to be the color it is what at what point did somebody decide like mouthwash has to be bright green yes like who made that decision why does it have to be bright blue bright green marketing is like green will sell better yes like pond water like why couldn't it have been clear yeah you know or i just think about things like that why why do we have sprinkles like why is that a thing why did we decide we needed brightly colored bits of sugar to top our piles of sugar yes yes yes. <laughs> my daughter was in charge somehow she's yes. like 
yeah. Yeah. Or, or who decided that, you know, fruit gummies had to be neon yellow and neon right. orange. Like it's already just fruit. Let it be natural. Just let it be brown. Yeah. Like wouldn't kids have liked it if it was, I mean, and I guess in those cases it's because it's not actually made with fruit and they want to give you the, <laughs> the, the illusion, illusion <laughs> that it's made with fruit. I don't know. Anyway, it's kind of a bizarre thing, but actually in doing research, I found that food coloring with natural substances, but food coloring in general has been around since 1500 BC. Okay. Okay. So before Christ walked this earth, 1500 years before that, people were already dying their food. We're dying their food. Okay. But with like natural, so it was like a natural. Then it was for the artistry of the food. (laughs) Probably. Oh. Yeah. In ancient Egypt, they were using food coloring i mean and and it was probably like you said there were some ceremonial aspects to it but nonetheless it's been happening since then so it did at least make it make a little bit more sense as to why it became yeah even a thing a thing and something that we just accept so readily because it's literally been around for thousands of years yeah um and even in ancient times food colors were regulated and controlled um, to prevent unsafe and fraudulent use, which I could only imagine would be like coloring spoiled food to make it look not spoiled. Oh, interesting. Like making, yeah, making <laughs> goods that were unfit for consumption look like they were fit for consumption. Lies. 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 So even then, food coloring was used as a method of lying yeah. about the yeah, nutritional value of food. Because <laughs> our brains should be able to look at food and say, uh-uh, or uh-huh, like we're just by looking at it, and now yeah. it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we used, up until a certain point, we used all natural dyes from plants and from berries and from vegetables um, until about 1856. And then we decided, why should we make food coloring with natural products when we can make it instead with toxic waste products? Yes, when we can manipulate the environment and strip it of all its goodness. We were going to throw all of this sludge (laughs) into the sewer, but now we'll just put it in our food. Yes, yes, we can eat this so it looks better in our food i okay yeah so thus 1856 began the development of synthetic dyes from petroleum or coal um which is called coal tar so colors today are don't think my intestines like that yeah i don't think so go ahead no and most most of the colors we use today are still derived from coal tar products um by the way we can thank english chemist sir william henry perkin for that Mm. discovery you didn't know what you were i hope you didn't know what you were doing like that you didn't know that it was actually real bad i'm sure he knew it wasn't good yeah i mean it was like black sludge (laughs) in your body yeah like rest in peace but not a good choice sir i mean coal tar is derived from coal so coal was a, a source of fuel and energy especially during those days so they were always trying to figure out with what can we do with like spent products yeah, yeah. to capitalize on them how they came to be used to create food coloring i'm not so sure but <laughs> um basically coal tar is derived from coal and is the byproduct of the production of something called coke not the coke that you're thinking of mm, mm. but a solid fuel that contains mostly carbon and coal gas mm. and then coal tar is used primarily for the production of refined chemicals and coal tar products such as creosote and coal tar pitch which is what we use in asphalt 
Yeah. So my kids, when they lick the highway, it's not so bad. Because yeah. they're getting that all the time in their fruit snacks. <laughs> it's fine. Absolutely. Uh, we don't condone you licking the highway. Okay. No. <laughs> Disclaimer. Disclaimer. Um, and coal tar contains many chemical compounds, including carcinogens such as benzene. Um, and acu- occupational exposure to coal tar increases the risk of skin cancer, lung cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer, and digestive tract cancer. Mm-hmm. So it definitely sounds like something we would want to put in our food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mainly good for kids. Okay. But we color it so it looks pretty, yeah, and then we can put fine. it in our food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and indeed, food dyes have been linked to free radical damage in our bodies, which is at the root cause of many types of cancers. Wow. So. Yeah. Anyway. It's natural. Just not, not natural. natural. No. Anything that looks like an yeah, looks like it's been colored probably has been colored. And and I'll get into what to look for on the packaging and all of that, but mm. um yeah, it's not necessarily going to be labeled on every package. So yeah. anyway. Gosh. So okay, so basically starting in 1856, we began these artificial food coloring, started adding them to food, and then the FDA was established, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA was established in 1938, Um, and since then the role of the FDA has been to ensure the safety of artificial food coloring um, and prevent fraudulent use in making food appear better or of greater value than it really is. So I just, those poor people that were alive between 1856 and 1938 that were just subject to whatever explosive use of food coloring was out there without any sort of regulation. Oh my. Um, anyway, so to make them more identifiable, artificial food colorings have both a common name and an official number that may differ from country to country. So that's what you were referencing before okay. with the red dyes. Yeah. Um, so the international numbering system is the world standard for classifying everything associated with food and uses the numbers 100 to 199 for color additives. So there are seven certified food colors. So those are the FD and C, where FD and C stands for food, drugs, and cosmetics, in case you were wondering. Okay. So sometimes you see on the label like FD and C number seven, FD and C number two. That's okay. the food, drugs, and cosmetics. That's what that means. So there are seven certified food colors that fall under that FD and C labeling okay um and those are seven are the ones approved for widespread use in the u.s so there are other colors that aren't approved for use in the u.s which is really saying something (laughs) um so those colors are brilliant blue which is blue number one um indigotine indigotine which is blue number two fast green which is green number three tartrazine which is yellow number 5b sunset yellow which is yellow number 6b erythrosine which is red number three and allura red which is red number 40 um, and then there are two other artificial colorings that are approved for specific limited use and those include citrus red which is uh, citrus red number two which is used to color orange rinds specifically in case they're not orangey enough in case they're not orange i'm like who is out there putting food dye into the rinds of our citrus fruits that's a little bit alarming uh-huh. <laughs> it makes me really question buying an orange from the grocery store yeah, you're right 
Um, you just picked it when it was yellow or th- I don't know what color is an orange before. Yeah, I'm like, what, what? What? Okay. And then orange B, which is to color sausage casings. <laughs> okay. I'm also questioning my sausage casings. I didn't know I had to. Yeah. So those are some of the unlabeled things, right? You don't pick up an orange and see that it's labeled like, you know, citrus red number two. Like you think it's just an orange, but apparently, an orange apparently they can color. And I'm not saying all oranges you buy in the grocery store have been colored, but apparently that exists are, Wow, as a thing. Okay. So, yeah. So probably the ones you see most often are those like blue number one, red number three, red number 40. Um, I see a lot of the yellow, the tartrazine, that yellow um, number 5B. That one I see a lot. Um, and sometimes it's under different names too. So the names I read you are the approved names, but I've seen them under different names on packaging and, and okay. stuff. So um, anyway, I think that the most common commonly used ones are that Allura red, that red dye number 40, and then the tartrazine, that Mm. yellow. Okay. So is there a number five, red dye number five when I was a teacher? Maybe they meant 40 and back then I just... Or it was three, maybe. Okay. It wasn't listed under the seven certified food colors. Maybe it was red dye and I just put a number to it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. It could be. And there could be some that have been taken out of production too. Um, But these dyes, at least these seven dyes, have been added to many foods, beverages, over-the-counter medications, and vitamins in the U.S., and especially those intended for children. Um, And for no use. Why do we need these? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently the ancient Egyptians decided we needed them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, theirs were for pretty reasons and ceremonial, and I support them. Or for maybe hiding that food was spoiled. I don't know. Okay, that vein. Don't do that. I don't know that I fully trust them. Do that. (laughs) So what's the big deal about artificial food dyes? I mean, obviously we know now that they're derived from toxic products and nobody wants to be putting that in their body, but what is actually like the health effects of that? I mean, so besides being made with known toxic carcinogenic ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. Coal tar is a known carcinogen. Mm -hmm. So besides that... um, Basically, the one of the one of the main problems with food dyes is that the um, the Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, so the FDA, initially approved food dyes between 1969 and 1987 when few studies of children were available. Mm-hmm. So they approved those dyes before a lot of studies that showed detrimental effects of food dyes on children came out. And since that time, clinical trials using synthetic dyes have examined the neurobehavioral outcomes in children and laboratory studies have been done on animals to look at the neurotoxic effects in, and those studies now have become available, but the dyes that have been approved, none of those studies were available at the time. Mm. So they didn't have that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and food dyes have been shown both anecdotally and scientifically to negatively affect behavior, especially in children. Um, the, it's the effects of which is most profound in children with ADD, you know, attention deficit disorder and other behavioral issues, um, increasing hyperactivity, impulsiveness, and inattention. And I think 
you know, when we say anecdotal versus scientific, anecdotal is somebody's personal experience with it. So maybe a parent saying, Mm -hmm. I notice when I give my child food dyes, their behavior changes. And I think that in the world of science, anecdotal evidence gets dismissed a lot. But to me, there is nothing I trust more than a parent's intuition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. A parent knows their child. They know their typical behavior. And so when a parent says, when my kid eats this food, their behavior changes, I believe them. Yes. Same. Oh, I see it. Absolutely. Like, I can totally trigger. We know, like, after Halloween, I'm like... You get a few pieces for a week and then I just throw the rest of it away just so I don't ruin their childhood. I get it. I mean, hey, can I get them sugar-free? I, whatever. There is some, I give them whatever. But I can definitely tell after they have sugar. I'm like, we don't do it this close to bed because you won't be able to fall asleep and you're going to act crazy and then you're grumpy and now your energy off the wall. Like, okay, I can definitely see it. So, yeah. yeah. We definitely watch that. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really frustrating when parents' evidence just gets dismissed because it's not backed up by an exact scientific study, I think if the parent's observing the changes in behavior, it's valid. Um, So I think the anecdotal evidence is just as powerful as the scientific evidence. And there is plenty of both showing that food dyes negatively affect children's behavior, um, especially in these areas of hyperactivity, impulsiveness, and inattention. Um, Animal studies have indicated effects of exposure to synthetic food dyes on activity, memory, and learning, changes in neurotransmitter systems in the brain, Mm. and microscopic changes in the brain structure. Mm. Mm -hmm. So not just affecting behavioral outcomes, but actually affecting the structure of the brain. Yes. Um, The research from Dr. Amen or Amen um, he does about the food dyes and the, he does brain scans and it shows like this is not good. And it's actually anyway. So there is that scientific. He's a good um, person to research for. Yeah. So things. he's done actual brain scans yes. showing yes. here's your brain before food dies and yep. here's your brain after food dies yep. and yep. shows changes yep. in the brain scans. Yep. And that's something that's kind of comforting as a parent it's like when I feel like my my daughter's being like grumpy or like ornery or something and I'm like why is she being so bad you know what I mean and it's like oh wait she just was at grandma she just had like 30 bags of candy with red dye in it like her brain like she's doing her best with the brain what we gave her and it's like it's not her it's her brain right now and so anyway to kind of give some leniency to kids too and don't yeah, don't be so hard on the kid. Just go give them some water and some real food. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yep. Um, and certainly developmental developmental toxicology studies have demonstrated effects on the activity of offspring when either red dye number three, red dye number 40, yellow number five, or blue number one was administered in utero, meaning while the rat was in the uterus developing before it was born. Um, through lactation, so while it, the animal was feeding from its mother, and into adulthood. So they've done studies on every stage of laboratory rats exposing them to dyes and have looked at behavioral and neurological outcomes. Um, and these studies have demonstrated long-term effects of in utero exposure on behavior and brain biomolecules well into adulthood at doses of the individual dyes found to have no effects in the US FDA regulatory reviews. So these animals are being exposed to the equivalent of doses smaller than those that the FDA has approved. 
and they're having lifelong neurological effects. Ugh. So when you do an animal study, obviously you scale everything down because you can't, like if you're dosing an animal at a human dose, (laughs) metabolically, the animal is much smaller, its metabolism is much faster, it's going to have a totally different effect than it would in a human. So you have to scale doses down in animal studies to represent the equivalent of an amount in human studies. So the amount that they're giving these rats is the equivalent of a dose less than that, which has been approved for daily exposure by the FDA, and yet it's causing these neurological outcomes. Mm. Um, And studies of exposure to dyes in adult animals has reported altered brain chemistry, changes in activity, altered learning and memory, and again, those microscopic alterations in brain structure. So I'm kind of repeating that information, but I think it's really significant that regardless of what stage an animal yeah. is exposed to these food dyes, whether it's in utero or while it's developing or while it's an adult, it's causing changes at any stage of life. Yeah. Um, so notably, most studies of adult animal neurotoxicity conducted from 2000 to 2001 to 2018 have reported effects at levels much lower than those reported to cause general toxicological effects in studies used as the basis of the FDA ADI, and the ADI is the acceptable daily intake. Okay. So that's what I just said, kind of in fancier words, but those doses have been much smaller according to new research. So since 2001, new research has shown exposure to dye in even smaller amounts than we currently thought can cause problems. So the the ADIs, the acceptable daily intakes, that's what's used to form the basis of regulating how much dye is in a product. And now we know that those ADIs are inaccurate. So um, now we're thinking, okay, so the ADIs, the acceptable daily intake established by the FDA is too high. Mm -hmm. But additionally, each food or drink or pharmaceutical or supplement has to have dye content below that ADI, right? But what about additive effects? So what if a kid is having a processed food with dyes Mm -hmm. and a processed drink with dyes, and then they're having allergy medicine or cough syrup with dyes, and then they're taking their crappy multivitamins that have dyes? I never thought of that. Right? So it's not like when you're grocery shopping, an FDA agent is standing in each aisle saying, well, you can't buy that combined with that because you already have your Kool-Aid. You already yep. have your Kool-Aid. Yes. Kool-Aid. You already have your fruit snacks. Yep. You already have your Skittles. So you have to pick one of those things because just one of those things is enough to be harmful. Is enough to be harmful. Wow. But now kids are having multiples of those wow. in a day. So there's no regulations controlling um, that. The cumulative. Oh my word! I mean, that would be impinging on our freedoms, wow. <laughs> right? If they did. But anyway, wow, that's astonishing. We do I, know that this country isn't concerned about impinging on your freedoms if they think that they're doing something that's the best for your health. So wow. why aren't people standing in the grocery store impinging on your freedoms and stopping you from buying seven different products containing dye yes. that your child might consume all in one day? Oh my word. Okay, and then I'm like, why can't the companies like just have clear food, guys? Not to mention <laughs> it's all sugar anyway. Okay, where do we start, Elaine? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so now you see we have a a really big problem. The ADIs are not up to date with current research. They're too high. And there's an additive effect. And we don't know what the effect is of things like food dyes combined with the effects of things like 
artificial sweeteners and yeah. and filler ingredients and preservatives those things all have additive effects too so um so now we'll look at some of the studies that have been done to evaluate the effect of food dyes specifically on children so before i was talking animal studies but there are also studies that have been done on children um, and most of these modern studies that I found start with what we call an oligoantigenic or few foods diet for everyone. So what that means is you basically eliminate everything but a few very known hypoallergenic foods. Okay. And then you start introducing foods and oh. then you identify which foods are the most common triggers. And then you study specifically those foods. Um, so if there's any like... So they take children maybe that have behavioral issues. They eliminate a bunch of foods for a period of several weeks, and then they start adding foods back in, and they take note of all the foods that cause behavioral issues, and then they they will study specifically those foods. And inevitably, food dyes come up as one of the top foods that triggers those neurobehavioral issues wow. in children. Yep. Um, and so then what follows that reintroduction period is what we call a double blind challenge with the offenders that can be blinded. And so when we talk about a blind study, what that means is um, basically a single blinded study is when study participants are blinded to what group they're in. So in any good study, you're going to have a placebo group or what we call the control group where they're given a placebo. So they're not given any sort of intervention and they kind of establish the baseline for what would happen with somebody not receiving an intervention. Then we have the experimental group and they're the ones receiving the intervention. So in a single blind study, the people in the groups don't know which one they're receiving. So they don't know if they're getting a placebo. They don't know if they're getting the intervention, but the researchers know. In a double blind study, neither the researchers know nor the study participants know. Mm, so the researchers, researchers can't have any sort of sway just by knowing. Exactly. Right. Because yep. bias in research bias, yep. is a real thing. And when you as a I have done many research studies over my career, and it's really true when you're expecting a certain outcome, it's easy to let those expectations guide your yeah. interpretation yeah. of the results because you you see what you look for like mm -hmm. that's like a human condition like what you focus on grows so exactly yeah. and so a double-blinded study is the gold standard of studies because the researchers who are and the statisticians who are looking and analyzing the results they do not know which group was which and so they're purely crunching numbers without any sort of bias yep. influencing the the results that come from that study um, so fortunately, artificial food colorings are one of the easiest things to blind because they can be camouflaged by dark foods or drinks. So you can give somebody a dark drink or a dark food and you don't know if it has mm. food coloring in it or not. So it's it's easy to blind against that. Mm. Hey there, Renegades. Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to bulletproof.com, and use the code RENEGADE15 at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's RENEGADE, 
R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Um, so a few highlights from these studies that I'm talking about on artificial food colorings. Um, there was one by Egger et al. And in a sample of 76 hyperactive children, they found that 48 foods had evidence of deterioration on being added back. So they did that um, oligoanergetic wow. study. They removed a bunch of foods. They found 48 different foods that triggered wow. that neurobehavioral issue, hyperactivity wow. and, and yeah, impulsivity and inattention. And colors and preservatives were at the top of the charts as the most frequent offenders. Wow. In another study of 200 hyperactive children, 150 of those 200 children openly improved with the elimination of artificial food colorings and openly deteriorated on their resumption. Wow. So 150 of 200 children, when they removed food colorings from their diet, improved and behavioral outcomes improved and when they added them back in they deteriorated again wow so they took 34 of those 150 children and they entered them into a double blind challenge with six doses of tartrazine which is that yellow food dye and a placebo and 22 of the 34 children clearly reacted with irritability restlessness and sleep disturbance wow and at the same time they challenged 20 non-hyperactive control children, and two of those 20, or 10%, also clearly reacted. So we see wow. it's not just hyperactive children or children with ADD that are being negatively affected by food dyes, but also children without any sort of behavioral issues can be negatively affected by food dyes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there were the Southampton studies in 2004 and 2007. There were three landmark studies that were published um, from Stevenson and colleagues at Southampton University. So two of these studies were in preschools and one was in a group of eight to nine year olds. So whatever that ends up being first grade or something. Um, all three yeah. studies included more than 100 participants. So one study had 277, one had 153, and one had 144. So when you're looking at studies of humans, having a larger sample size is important also because mm. a small sample size of, say, like 10 kids, yeah, it's possible that the 10 kids you picked in that just have some sort of common yeah. problem yeah. that you may not be identifying. But once you're getting into the higher numbers, you know, 50, 100, then you have more surety that... Yeah. You're not, you didn't just accidentally somehow select a sample of unique kids. Yeah. In smaller yeah. numbers, that's more likely to happen. Yeah. Um, so all three of these studies had more than 100 participants. And the children were classified as hyperactive or not based on a rating scale. And in the first study, as atopic or not by a skin prick test, meaning they tested to see if they were allergic to the food dyes which would impact behavior. Okay. So they made sure they weren't allergic to the food dyes, and then they basically split them up into groups and said, okay, these kids were classifying as hyperactive. These mm -hmm. kids are not. Um, and then they did some severity assessments using a double blind challenge of uh, artificial food coloring mix and a placebo. Um, 
And let's see. So in this study, they defined hyperactivity using all 18 of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 4th Edition ADHD symptoms, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just the hyperactive symptoms. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 4th Edition, which is the DSM, um, they use that to classify a child as having ADHD or not based on 18 different symptoms. So those are the symptoms they used. And so they weren't officially diagnosing these kids with ADHD, but that's how they were classifying them. So they did it in a medically sound way Mm -hmm. to determine if those kids were hyperactive or not. Um, And they refrained in the study from calling it ADHD because the kids hadn't been officially diagnosed. So Mm -hmm. I think they're being sensitive of, yeah, yeah, they don't want to label it. And a parent's not necessarily like sending their kid into that study to get a diagnosis of ADHD, but the researchers have to do it because the theory is that food dyes affect children with ADHD more than they affect children without behavioral issues. So they wanted to differentiate those groups. So all of the children were given an elimination diet free of artificial food colorings for two weeks. And then they were challenged with a mixed fruit juice. Um, So Either for the placebo group, it didn't have any artificial food colorings in it. And in the experimental group, it had the artificial colorings in it. Um, And the mix that they gave them approximated the 2010 per capita daily consumption of artificial food colorings in the U.S., which is 62 milligrams per day. So they gave 62 milligrams per day to the eight and nine-year-olds. And then they gave 20 milligrams per day to the preschoolers. So the older kids got more dye. The younger kids got less. But the older kids were getting what's estimated to be the daily per capita consumption of artificial food coloring. So they're just matching what kids are eating every day anyway. Wow. Um, Then there was a one-week placebo washout between challenges. So meaning they didn't they they switched groups. <laughs> yep. So the kids that were in the placebo group will move into the experimental group and the kids in the experimental group will move into the placebo group. And they give one week in between where they don't give them any artificial food coloring. So they let their mm-hmm. systems reset. Yep. Um, so the main outcome of the first study was hyperactivity, which is basically a composite of overactivity, inattention, and impulsiveness. Um, and they had parents rate those metrics, and then they also had teachers rate those metrics for all the kids. So in the first study, um, parent ratings showed a significantly greater increase in hyperactivity on active challenge than on placebo. And remember, the parents do not know. They're blinded. They don't know what mix their kids are getting. But when their kids got the artificial food coloring mix, the parents reported greatly increased hyperactivity in these children. Mm. And importantly, there was no association with ADHD or atopy. So whether kids were allergic or not, and whether they had ADHD or not, all kids, parents reported an increase in hyperactivity. Got a little bananas. Yeah. Um, The results of the second preschool study, the mix, the artificial food coloring mix showed significantly greater increase than placebo in the global hyperactivity score. And again, there was no interaction with um, with whether the child was already classified as hyperactive or not. Um, so the second study replicated the results of the first study. So they found in both of those studies in preschool children that hyperactivity was significantly increased by being exposed 
to those artificial food colorings. Um, and then for the, like, I think to keep in mind too, those preschool children were only receiving 20 milligrams of food dye. But again, the per capita daily consumption is closer to 62 milligrams. So maybe three times as much. Yeah. So if your preschoolers are eating the, so 20 milligrams was enough to cause hyperactivity. Yeah. Now imagine kids are eating three times as much yeah. as that on a daily basis. So imagine what that's doing. But they didn't even feel like it was moral to expose kids that Isn't young to that so much not food right. dye. Like, right. Like in a research study, they're like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. That's kind of dangerous. But like kids, yeah, kids are just eating that every day. Um, for the eight to nine-year-olds, the higher dose that they gave them showed a significantly greater increase than the placebo in the global hyperactivity score. Wow. There was no interaction between baseline hyperactivity. The results of all three studies showed a significant effect for all children, not just for those meeting the criterion of ADD. Mm. So this suggests that food, artificial food colorings really are more of a public health problem than an ADHD problem. But we kind of see them relegated to, oh, they could be a problem. Some people think <laughs> uh-huh. if uh-huh. your kid already has problems. Yeah. But these studies clearly showed that like they are a kid. problem for any kid. Yep. Yeah. Whether they or have adult. ADHD or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or adult. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when those studies were released, it led to some pretty significant changes in the field of public health okay. with the nah, don't get too excited. Cha- is there a change coming? <laughs> well, not in the U.S. So with the United Kingdom government, they requested that food manufacturers avoid these additives altogether in favor of natural food colors and flavorings. Brilliant. Brilliant, yes. Yes, and the European Union asked manufacturers to voluntarily remove the artificial food colorings from foods and beverages, or if they didn't, they had to list um, a warning on the label saying, this artificial food coloring may have an adverse effect on the activity and attention in children. Yes. This should be a thing. Yeah. So they, so again, the UK said, remove them. (laughs) We don't want these in our food products. For our children and our, our country's future. Yeah. The EU said, okay, you can remove them voluntarily or you have to label your product and tell parents that it can cause hyperactivity. people know. In the US, however, in March of 2011, the United States FDA Food Advisory Committee held a hearing on the behavioral effects of synthetic food dyes and voted not to recommend banning artificial food colorings or to require a warning label. Because profits. (laughs) And we don't care about the health of our children. Okay. (laughs) So now... (laughs) So renegades. Other countries are like, wow, this is really significant. Our kids matter. And the US FDA was like, eh... We're not so sure we believe the studies. They weren't convinced. 96% of people at the committee said voted to have more studies before they would make any decisions. Okay. Okay. Deep breath. Deep breath in. Okay, renegades. And this is why we have a podcast. (laughs) We're going to go do the right thing. And obviously the government does not have our best interest in hand. So we take care of it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So we're here for you. So now you know. Now you know the results of the studies that swayed decisions, like massive decisions 
in other countries that didn't sway anything in the U.S., but now you, as the consumer, get to vote with your dollars. Vote with your dollar. And yes. you get to be the one to say, okay, well, now I know. I yep. didn't necessarily know before, but yep. now I do know that my child, myself, should not be exposed. Yes. Um, yes. And if you want just like, um, like your kid or yourself to just not be so moody, just like choose the not... You know, the like naturally diet or just eat real food. I kind Yeah, I just what? Sing- and it's such a weird reality that it's like we're on earth, right? And we come to consciousness and all of a sudden we're just like eating and making money and doing all this. And then it's like we have to like question what we eat and question like what's okay in our food system. It's like, what? what? I don't understand it. Just food should <laughs> just be real food. Eleni, what is wrong with that? I'm sorry. I went existential here a second. I just what that. F is going on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy that it's even something we have to worry about. And, you know, aside from apparently oranges, as long as you're picking single ingredient foods. Yeah. From the earth. From the earth. Real food. You shouldn't be being exposed to food dyes. I mean. Yeah. It It is just another, like, trumpet for, like, eat real food, cook your food, and I know it's hard, too, in, the, in our fast life, but just, gosh, get some soup cans that help you out. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Do something better than that. Yeah. So just one more study that I wanted to share, another meta-analysis. This is from a paper um, that was written by the Children's Environmental Health Center and the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment in California. <laughs> so that's the OEHHA, Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment in California. They wrote a paper called Potential Neurobehavioral Effects of Synthetic Food Dyes in Children. Um, and then that was in 2018, 2019. So the OEHHA, O-E-H-H-A, received funding to review the scientific literature and conduct a risk assessment um, as far as the data would allow of the potential impacts of synthetic food dyes on children. So they did a systematic literature review and identified numerous clinical trials that looked at the neurological effects of food dyes in children. And then they also identified the numerous laboratory studies of both mature and developing animals that were exposed to synthetic food dyes. So a lot of the studies that I have already referenced to you in this podcast are some of the studies that they looked at in this paper. Um, And basically they found that artificial food dyes are associated with adverse neurobehavioral outcomes in children and that children vary in their sensitivity to synthetic food dyes. So it became clear when they were doing the research that some children are more likely to be adversely affected by artificial food dyes than others, mm-hmm. which may yeah. explain why some studies have been inconclusive. Um, and so if you consider that maybe 50% of children are more likely to uh, be affected adversely, then it makes sense why sometimes some studies show an ad- mm. adverse outcome and some studies don't. Yeah. Um, but they performed extensive analysis and arrived at that conclusion And they were unable to identify in any of the studies that they looked at any sort of biases or statistical errors or anything like that that invalidated the associations between food dye intake and neurobehavioral issues. So basically they said they couldn't find any flaws in the studies that did show that food dyes affect neurobehavioral outcomes. So they said the results of these studies are accurate. We can't find any reason why they'd be inaccurate. Um, 
So basically, the review that they did of human studies and evidence from epidemiology, animal neurotoxicology, and mechanistic toxicology taken all together suggested that artificial food dyes are associated with adverse neurobehavioral effects such as inattentiveness, hyperactivity, and restlessness in sensitive children, both with and without pre-existing disorder. So overall, children's estimated exposure to the FDNC batch certified synthetic food dyes um, tended to be higher compared to adults. So children appeared to be a more sensitive population to food mm-hmm. dyes than adults. Um, and among the food dyes, the highest exposures they found from consuming foods were to red dye number 40 followed by yellow number five, and followed by yellow number six. So those were the top three most common food dyes that children and participants were exposed to in the research studies that they looked at. Um, And then basically the most common food items they found associated with food dye exposure, which varies by dye, included fruit juice, fruit-flavored drinks, um, including powders that get like reconstituted into a <laughs> liquid, soft drinks, ice cream cones, breakfast cereals, and icings. That is so funny that like all most of those on your list were fruit, which are already colorful, but they had to like fake it to mm-hmm. pretend like it's healthy. Yeah, and remember, know. it's it's basically fruit flavored drinks, which is not the same as a drink made from fruit. Like real drink. It's yeah. made from artificial flavors. And because it's made from artificial flavors instead of real fruit, it doesn't have the color of real fruit. Yeah. Um, and if you've it's ever like, like, a like joke. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, yeah. right. Yeah, you feel like you're like in, in like one big episode of like pranked or something. Yes, like yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like, is this a joke? So this fruit juice, does it have fruit in it or real color or any? Okay. Yeah, but yeah. we call it fruit juice. Yeah. <laughs> and breakfast cereals so think about that think about some of those brightly colored breakfast cereals so kids are eating that first thing in the day they're already Mm -hmm. loaded with sugar and carbohydrates they don't have protein they don't have fat and now you're exposing them to high doses of food colorings and so no wonder the kids are hyperactive in school and no wonder more and more kids are being diagnosed with ADHD because they're starting out their day with sugar, carbohydrates, refined mm-hmm. processed foods, <laughs> and dye food. Number 40. Yeah. <laughs> dye number 40. Like, exactly. Like what chance? We're not setting them up for success no. at all. What chance are we giving them? Yeah. Like, and adults aren't as severely affected, but we're still affected. Yeah. But kids are really the ones coming into contact with that stuff. I mean, I don't know as many adults that Which- are fruit boxes (laughs) (laughs) that are eating like fruit loops for breakfast and then having a fruit roll up at lunch and then having gummies as a snack like there's fewer adults yes indulging in those behaviors (laughs) (laughs) because it's too hard to get up the next day right (laughs) yeah and they found that in a lot of the age groupings they estimated that their exposures to red dye number three exceeded the fda adis yeah, so that cumulative. Oh my mm-hmm. word. Um, so they concluded that the studies that form the basis of the FDA ADIs are all 35 to almost 70 years old, and as such, were not capable of detecting the types of neurobehavioral outcomes associated in later studies, or for which there is a concern for children consuming synthetic food dyes. So they basically said the ADIs are based off of studies that are too old and those studies don't adequately measure the effects anymore of food dyes because now we have 
for their size. Yeah, yeah. Now we have new metrics of neurobehavioral outcomes that weren't available. Those metrics weren't available when they were doing those studies. And so we can detect changes in children's behavior that they couldn't detect at the time. Oh. So those studies aren't adequate. Um, and then the ADIs for dyes where recent data exists. So for red dye number three, red dye number 40, yellow number five, and yellow number six, they determined that the ADIs would be much lower if they were based on the results of more recent animal and human studies that focus on neurobehavioral effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that common exposures to some synthetic food dyes from foods would exceed the ADIs if they were based on more recent studies. So obviously we know that the FDA ADIs are not adequate anymore, but that's what manufacturers are using to determine how much dye they can put in their product. And now those kids, so those ADIs already should be lower. The amount of dye in a product should be lower and it doesn't take into effect, like account the the cumulative effect Mm -hmm. of consuming multiple dyes. And so it's really, it's a big problem. I think it's a huge association with ADHD and neurological Mm. and behavioral outcomes. And obviously, as we've demonstrated from the studies I've, you know, recited here, it's not just with kids that have already been diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. It's also with kids that have otherwise normal behavioral Mm. (laughs) metrics, but are, they're still being negatively affected. And so again, I just think for parents to consider kind of like you said earlier, Kay, like, we should probably stop being so hard on our kids for being so inattentive. And when we consider the food that they're eating, not to mention other things that I can't get into today, but like screen time and mm-hmm. all of the things that are constantly demanding their attention and requiring a shorter attention span mm-hmm. instead. And so then training them to have a short attention span, like we really are kind of dooming our kids like giving their brains like yeah so we're just overstimulating them all the time and then expecting them to behave well in mm-hmm. school and it's a joke like mm-hmm. and then you look at what kids eat in school lunches which is a whole different topic mm-hmm. in western society yeah. but yeah they're just not eating sound nutritious meals and for many kids the lunches that they're eating at school might be the only sound meal they get for that day which is really sad and then you know we're sending them home with snacks filled with dyes and sugar i mean honestly something has to change like i really we can do better we can do better america yes clearly other countries decided they would do better the united states has not chosen to do that but we as the citizens of the united states can make that decision for ourselves as free thinking americans we can make that decision yes we can so anyway so if you would like to choose to speak and vote with your dollars which is the quickest way to get those products containing food dyes off of the shelves at the market the best way to do that is to stop buying them stop funding those agencies that are making all of the money because once they see that people don't want their crappy toxic products they're they're gonna have to change them yeah yeah So how to avoid food dyes. The best way is to avoid processed foods. I mean, it's just the safest way. Some foods will label them. Some will not. There's other, I mean, there's just ways they can get around it. Um, Look for foods made with colors derived from fruits or vegetables, and they will usually state it on the package. So if if a food, a processed food is made with like coloring from vegetables or fruits instead, like from carrots or from... yeah 
anato or something like that they'll state it on the package because they want parents to know because they know that there are conscientious parents that are looking for foods free of dyes and so they'll tell you if it's made from vegetable coloring or fruit coloring yeah like no artificial dyes exactly um avoid crappy vitamins and supplements we talked about this in our supplements episode. Wash it down the toilet. Last week. <laughs> yep. Um, if you, and and I, I see it in supplements. And again, it's one of those yeah. baffling things to me where yeah. I'm like, why did this have to be bright orange? Like, I don't care if that vitamin is brown. Why did you color it? Yeah. Why would you put something detrimental to your health into a vitamin that you would have to help your health? Like, right. Like, this is like... I see it a lot, even in supplements like CoQ10. I just saw it the other day in a supplement that was CoQ10 and the capsules were red and it had red dye number 40 in it. I was like, why? Why did it have to be red? So unnecessary. Yes. So avoid the crappy, avoid the crappy ones. Avoid sugary drinks and sports drinks, Mm -hmm. okay, which are filled with dyes. If you wonder how they got so blue or so orange or so yellow, it's because they dyed them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So just go ahead and avoid that. Avoid colored mouthwashes, which again is bizarre to me. Look for dyes in cosmetic products. I see colors a lot in cosmetic products, which you may not think about as much. But again, what you put on your skin gets absorbed into your bloodstream. So Mm -hmm. it's the same as ingesting it. Even products like aloe vera gel. Like I see those aloe vera gels Mm -hmm. that like have the blue or the green dye in them. And they're like bright green. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So of anything that looks unnaturally brightly colored is usually a tip it's, off no, that it's not natural. Yeah, you don't need the neurological stimulant. Just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. It'll be at peace and don't have it. So I I hope, you know, I've had several people report to me that like, oh my gosh, since I started listening to your podcast, now I read the labels on everything. Good. Yes. Do read it. <laughs> Good. Yes, you should. Yes. And it's kind of one of those, if it's more than five things and you can't say it, don't get it. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. And maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're like, well, my kid's behavior is fine. And so I'm not so worried about them coming into contact with dyes. And that's understandable. But remember If you buy that product and support that company, you are enabling them to continue selling that product. To kids who it would affect. And it can affect other kids more strongly than yours. So maybe just keep that in mind too. It's just as easy. You can still get those convenient snacks for your kids in a more natural form without all of the crappy food dyes. There are companies that do it better. I still don't necessarily recommend them because they may still have sugar. Yeah. But still, just choose the better thing. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to go yeah. Only, zero to 60. Yes, nuts and berries. <laughs> we'll get you there and you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to get there today, but just yeah. make the better choice. Spend yeah. the extra couple of dollars to support yeah. the companies that are doing it right, that have your children's interests more in mind than the other ones. Yeah. And so that's how we can change it. a better society. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, just... Don't do it. Yes, right. <laughs> Food right. dies. Don't do Don't it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, you're right that I normally am like, I'm going to go home and buy something. But you're right. Now I'm going to go home and throw away anything that has red, red dye in my cupboards. But to be honest, I think we're at a point in our, our I don't think I really do have any red dye in my house. But if you do have it in your house, throw it in the trash. 
You don't need it. And that includes too, like literally food dyes, like food colorings that you may have yes. in your pantry. Yep. There are natural alternatives to those available that you can buy. Yeah, for your pretty cakes. For your yep. pretty cakes. Yeah. And there are, yeah, there are some really fun ones. Like one of my favorite ones to use is pitaya or dragon fruit powder, which is bright pink. And it's literally just desiccated, dried, ground up dragon fruit powder, and it will turn anything bright pink. Um, my daughter's gonna love this yes yeah I'll find it um I've bought it before just online and there's also butterfly pea powder which is from butterfly pea flowers they just blend them up and it is this gorgeous blue like (laughs) this periwinkle blue okay I love that first off I thought that they were gonna ground up butterflies I was like no and then you said (laughs) pea and I was like I don't want butterfly pea Okay, the power. It's a flower. The butterfly pea is a flower. That's really funny. Like, don't eat that, Rosalind. Don't eat that butterfly. (laughs) Yes, it's made from the rare endangered blue Amazon butterflies. They just catch them and grind them up. (laughs) No, butterfly pea flowers are a type of flower, and they're gorgeous blue. They blend up the flower, and they make a powder out of it. It doesn't really taste like anything. But it's pretty. But it's really pretty. And you can just put it in icing. You can put it in a cake. I mean, same with the dragon fruit, that pitaya, that like dark pink. It is gorgeous. And you can mix them together and make purple. So you can make the boys happy with the blue and the girls happy with the pink and anybody who wants purple or whatever color they want. In between you want. Whatever you want. Yes, yes. Yes, but just saying. (laughs) Then the green, you'll have to like cut up vegetables on it. We got this covered. Oh yeah. And there's turmeric turns things yellow, very yellow. If you've ever handled turmeric, it has turned many a blender and food processor yellow for me. So there's natural things and you can buy pre-made dyes that are made from natural ingredients so you don't have to go out and like grow a whole field of butterfly pea flowers (laughs) and grind them up yourself like you can just buy them online or you can buy mixes already made from them so you know i know that colors the reason that food coloring gets put into kids food is because kids are drawn to colorful things and that's what makes them want to eat food yeah so i know that the visual component of food for kids is really important so you can still have that just use ingredients that you can feel really good about and support the industries that are doing it right better ways yeah better ways so that's it that's my episode Uh, well thank you thank you yes again you have changed my mindset on something and that that i that i didn't know like i I had an awareness right of like color dyes like don't do it but now I think I'm going to have more conviction of like, oh, no, really d- d- choose that over that. Like, yeah, kind of more of a conviction. So yeah. thank you again for that. And yeah. waking us up to the truth of the of the industry. Yeah. Now, if I guess if you have anybody who has questions on artificial food colorings, you can send them to this podcast because this yes. is where it's all collected now. So, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Elaine. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Renegades. Yep. Go be Renegades. Go be Renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be Renegades! Go be Renegades!